Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Howdy, everybody. Uh, I have a, a sermon that I actually can have a little fun with. Um, but before I, I dive into this thing on repentance, primarily it's about John the Baptist and the way he handled it. Uh, I talked to Patrick in Uganda this week for probably an hour. We were talking, and, and uh, he hummed and hawed around a little bit about two or three things. Number one, they've had to stop construction because they ran out of money. So on this coming Wednesday, we'll send, send them another $40,000, which should complete the project. That should put the roof on, on the Sunday school building, and it should put the tile on the floor. The chairs are paid for, and um, the tiling of, of all, f finishing all the floor stuff is about, eh, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's about $18,000, and then the roof on the building should pretty well put them in a position to establish or a projected date of dedication. And I'll keep you informed when that's to be. They wanted a representation from what they call the mother church, that's us, to be there and um, because it's, gonna, it's turned into kind of a shindig that I hadn't anticipated. But anyway, we'll keep you informed how that goes. And we have the 40,000 some, because somebody has promised to, to give us $40,000 sometime before the summer's over. So we're going to go ahead and send it, and, and then they'll replace it so that we don't go broke here. Um, but uh, then the other thing he told me that I thought was equally important is that uh, he and his wife, you know, are expecting a baby, and they think maybe delivery date sometime in December. So I, I told him it'd be December the 11th because that's Alice birthday. But the, he also told me that the baby was a boy, and they were really excited about that. So I, I took the time to explain to him some things that he needed to understand about being a new daddy. Number one, he doesn't have a middle name. Eddie is, has a middle name, Edward Johnson Mukumazi. Patrick is just Patrick Kawoya. And I said, Patrick, you know, you need a middle name. And if you look carefully at that, Patrick Scott Kawoya would make a, a really, I mean, it just kind of sings, you know. And, um, and he said, well, we thought about that. Now, you show, show you how quick these birds are. He said, we, we thought about that because if it was a girl, we thought about calling her Scott Trina, <laughs> which was a lot of baloney. He was making that up as he went. Anyway, that kind of keeps you up to date with everything that I know. Um, the message this morning, you probably ought to look at your, your sermon outline because there's a few things there that you probably never heard of before. And what I've tried to do, because some of this is kind of sensitive in the theological world, shouldn't be, but it is. So, um, and the most important thing that I want you to remember is the definition and the meaning of repentance, how it's applied to our life. Because 
repentance is, is we've always through the years defined it as just a, an about face or turning away, which is accurate. But that doesn't apply it to life. And I want to show you how that's to be applied to life, even if you're a Christian, even if you're a Christian. And we'll try to make that as clear as we can as we go. We're using primarily John the Baptist. Uh, John's name actually means God is gracious. That's the, that's the, the Hebrew meaning of his name. He was actually kissing kin to Jesus, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John's mother, Elizabeth, were kinfolks. And so when, uh, when Mary finds out she was pregnant with Jesus, you remember she came to Elizabeth, and she had to come all the way from Nazareth down to Jerusalem because they lived just about a mile or so out of Jerusalem on the, on the west side. And uh, they talked about it. And at that particular time, the scripture says that when Mary came carrying Jesus, that John leapt and moved in Elizabeth's womb. Those of you who've had babies, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, but there was theological significance there, too, because in the Old Testament, in especially Isaiah and then also some in Malachi, it was announced that there would be one who would introduce Jesus as the Messiah. He would carry with, he would be of the spirit of Elijah and that he would come with the, with the specific ministry of introducing the Messiah. If you look in the third chapter of the book of Matthew, it references back to Isaiah when it says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah saying, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths for him. And, and then Malachi in the third chapter, I think is even clearer about it, saying, Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. So John, he, well, he was anticipating John is the forerunner to introduce Jesus and also as a, as a prophet and preacher. The ministry of John is, is addressed several places in the Bible, both in the Gospels and, believe it or not, in the book of Acts by the Apostle Paul. Because in the 19th chapter of the, um, of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul uh, is talking about John's baptism and the baptism uh, in Jesus' name. And it says, a group of people came to him who had been baptized, and, and, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit because they had only been baptized in the name of John. So it reads like this. Paul asked him, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. In another place, it, it says repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. 
And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's addressed all through here. But there's a lot of confusion about baptism in the Christian world. And I want to talk about that, not to badmouth anybody, but for the purpose of clarification of saying, I don't care what we do today. I want to know what the Bible says. I just want to know what the Bible says. And then we make our commitment to try to keep what the Bible says, not necessarily what the Christian theological world has to say. Now, the apostle, the apostle, uh, or rather John the prophet, was to preach repentance. And he said something there that is a little bit different that we don't do. And I'm not certain that we're right. He preached repentance, and then he said, and I want proof that you have repented. In other words, I want your life to reflect what you say you've done, and you're going to be held accountable for it. In verse 8 here, in the third chapter of the book of Matthew, he says this, produce fruit in the keeping with repentance. That, that means he's saying, I want proof that you have done what you say you have done when you repented of your sins. And, uh, and that same thing is quoted in the third chapter and the eighth verse, believe it or not, of the, of the Gospel of Luke. Then he was also had the, the responsibility not only of preaching to people to repent. And who was he preaching to? He was preaching to Jewish people who came under the Old Testament covenant. They, they were called covenant people. Israel was the covenant people of God in all through the Old Testament. Now, the Bible is actually divided into three separate areas. There's the Old Testament of the, and the law, uh, and, and, and we'll clarify that in a minute. And then uh, John introduced Jesus. Now we have the ministry of Jesus that superseded the law and even superseded what's happening in the church. Why? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. So we have, we have the Old Testament covenant, we have the, the ministry of Jesus, and we have the New Testament covenant, all which are a little bit different from each other. And so John came to announce the coming of the Messiah and to introduce Jesus. You remember he said when Jesus came to him to be baptized, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. People didn't understand what he was talking about. But both Jesus and John preached almost exclusively, not 100%, but John exclusively preached to the Jews. Now these were already in the covenant of the Old Testament as the people of God, the chosen people of God. So why would he be saying to God's chosen people, you need to repent? We'll talk about that in just a minute. So, and, and in order to, and John was held accountable too. He had to display that he was of the lineage, not historical lineage, but of the spirit of Elijah. Because the one who was to introduce the Messiah had to demonstrate that he was of the spirit of Elijah in the Old And Elijah in the Old Testament was a little bit of a weirdo. I mean, that's what he would have been called because of the way he dressed and because of his diet, believe it or not. 
you can find this in Second Kings, but here in the, in the text that we have, it describes those very things when they were describing John in the third chapter of the book of Matthew. Listen to what it says. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food, now get this diet. This is tasty stuff. His food was locust and wild honey. I think I could tolerate the wild honey. I've actually eaten that. But the bugs would have to go. I don't think I could tolerate. Even though there are tribes in different parts of the world, especially in South America and in parts of Africa, that actually eat different kinds of bugs when they're hungry. And I personally think they're a little buggy for doing it, but that's just my opinion. So, but it's interesting. And so John actually dressed and ate a diet that was similar to Elijah. And so, and Jesus actually said he is the Elijah that was prophesied that was to introduce me. Jesus actually complimented John himself and as, as a person. If you go look in the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew, when Jesus is, uh, is talking here, is quoted here, he, he speaks about John the Baptist. He, we would say cousin John if we were doing it. Uh, at starting at what, verse 11. Uh, well, go back before that. It said that uh, Jesus was talking about a prophet. And I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one that was written of, I will send my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth. Get, this is the compliment that Jesus gave John, his cousin. He said, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's as big a compliment as you... But the point Jesus was making is you have to keep on going. He said, yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So what Jesus is really saying here, you can be an Israelite of the Old Testament covenant. And you could be the person who introduced the Messiah. But that won't get you to heaven. What he's saying is if anybody gets to heaven after Jesus came, it would only be if you put your faith in Jesus himself. There's no other name given under, in, under heaven among men whereby people can be saved other than Jesus. We had a lot of people here who had been baptized in the name of John, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, which meant they hadn't been born again because you're born of water and, the, and, and, and of the Spirit uh, in third chapter, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Actually, John preached baptism for the remission of sins. Now, we, the, the, the church today really argues about this a lot, and, uh, and they shouldn't because this is just what the Bible says. I'm, I'm reading now from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, when it says, And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It goes on and says, And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to meet him, 
confessing their sins, that, and then they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And it was in an area where the, where the Bible says there was much water. Now, there's a reason I'm, I'm mentioning that. So just hang with me now. We'll make sense of all this in a minute. So John preached baptism for the remission of sins. Actually, in the book of Acts, second chapter, 38th verse, it says the same thing about the church. Acts 2.38. And so uh, the, the baptism, there's a relationship in the Bible between baptism and the forgiveness of sins. This is the way God set it up. I'm just reading you what the Word of God says. And um, now, so the question is, if John was preaching to the people who were Jews already in God's covenant, why was he asking them to repent? It would be like this. If everybody here this morning was a Christian, every one of you was a Christian, and I were asking you to repent, why would I be doing that? Well, because you'd say, I'm already saved. I don't need to repent. And that's, you would say that because you don't understand what repentance really means. Let's see if I can make that as clear as humanly possible. What John the Baptist was saying, and what Jesus was saying, and what the New Testament teaches is... You can be a Christian. You can be saved. You can have the promise of eternal life. And, you're, and, and you still need to repent. Why? It's because very few of us, if any of us really, if very few of us are operating completely in the will of God. I doubt if we passed the, a little piece of paper around so you could write and nobody could read it except me, and I won't think on Yeah, I might think on you. Uh, but if, and, and if, are you on a daily basis in every part of your life moving in the direction that God is going? I doubt if any of us would say, yeah, I am. Which means that Repentance means, literally means, turning from the direction we're going and directing our life in the flow of the will of God. It's that turning from what we're doing in the direction that God is going. Because very few of us consistently, daily, move in the direction God is. We're so selfish and self-centered and so attached to this world that's as temporary that we have a tendency to be very selfish in our daily desires and our motives. And so he was saying, even though you're God's people, and I think I can say this without fear of contradiction, most of us who know Jesus and who've been, who've been baptized, who have been uh, forgiven of our sins, very few of us live a life on a daily basis that the sinner looks, like, looks at and says, man, there's something special. We are so influenced by the world that is controlled by the devil, we're so influenced by the world 
that very few of us on a daily basis consistently find ourselves moving in the direction that God is going. And for, and for that reason, both Jesus and John the Baptist said, you need to repent, which means to turn from the direction you're going into the direction that God is going. That's why communion is taken by the church. Because church, the communion says that each time we take communion, we need enough time to examine ourselves to see if we're moving in the direction that God is going. Because we can only influence the lost and dying world when we move in the direction God is going. It's tremendously impressive if we do that. So this is the way that the Bible, what it really means when they're talking about repentance. Now it does, it, it, we've always said, well, it just means I feel sorry for your sins. No, it means a lot more than that. It does mean that I'm sorry and I, and I need to turn and do better. Now, let, let's for a little bit talk about the method. See, we have John's ministry. We have... Uh, his message now I, 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 of repentance and confession of sin and baptism, we need now to look at the method of baptism in particular because there's so much confusion in our world. I'll try to explain why there's so much confusion and, and what the Bible just simply says. First of all, let's talk about the word baptism itself. The word baptism has never been translated in many passages in, in, in the Bible. It's been transliterated. Now, yeah, I'm not just playing with you here. Listen carefully because this, this is something everybody can understand. It's not deep. The word, uh, instead of translating the word baptizo, which is the verb form, baptizma, which is the noun form of the word that we call baptism, instead of translating that, and if you translated it, it would mean something different. It literally means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. That's the literal meaning of the word translation of, into English of the word baptism, of the Greek word baptizo. And it was used, it's a part of everyday language for the Greeks. They used that word uh, if they were... Uh, uh, dying clothes. They, you take what? Your clothes and you want it, to, you got a, some white stuff you want to turn into purple so you can look like you're royalty. It, when, when they pushed the, the cloth down into the dye, they, they, they were baptizing it. That's the word they would use. Or if you took a ladle and dipped into the gravy to put on your biscuits, that dipping in, they would call it baptism. It was a commonly term used that everybody understood. Now, in the church today, I think I'm guessing at this, but my guess is more people who attend churches in the world have been sprinkled than, than immersed. I would suspect that's true. But the, the Greek word for sprinkle is not baptism. The Greek word for sprinkle is rontidzo, where we get our word rain. Because what does rain do? It sprinkles down on us. And so they're two totally different words. And, uh, and, <coughs> the, and, and I think it's important that you understand even in our confused culture today how important words 
and definitions are. Because we're, we're living in a day and an age when people are, are doing really ridiculous things in redefining words. This didn't happen in the U.S., but it happened not too long ago in, in Scotland. Now listen to how ridiculous things get when you mess with words. When you redefine them to mean something they don't mean. There was a guy that was arrested in Scotland for abusing women. I think he probably maybe even killed a couple of them. I mean, this is a real bad guy. He was finally arrested and taken to court and found guilty and was sentenced to imprisonment. While he was in court, listen to this now, this really happened. I'm not making this up. It's so ridiculous you might think, but I'm not. He said, well, I'm now a woman. Now get this, and because of Scottish law, the guy that had abused and even murdered women, because he now claimed to be a woman, served his sentence in a women's prison. Now figure that one out, if you don't think it's important. It really is. How confusing it is when people start redefining words to suit their narrative rather than accepting the words for what they really mean because words are important. They really are. So what happened in the church? Why, why did they start sprinkling people or pouring water on them and calling that baptism when they're two different words? Well, historically we know. There is a, there's a, uh, an incident that's in church history. This is about the, somewhere in the second century. This guy had gotten some way or another to become an elder in the church, and he was dying on his deathbed. And, uh, and he confessed to them that he'd never been baptized. Well, if they took him to the river and... and Put him under the water, they will kill him. I mean, he was dying anyway. So the local clergy said, well, let's just, like in the Old Testament, when the priest would go serve in the temple, he would take a ritual bath. Let's just pour some water on him, and we'll call that baptism. That's, that's when it all started. Now, so what they did is they sprinkled him, and they called it baptism. And, and then late, now always remember, the cover-up is usually worse than the crime, or at least as bad. Then they started trying to justify doing that because they were held accountable. Peter actually addresses that whole problem because there were problems in the early church who said, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, before you can be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And that was, and that was the Jewish background because most of the early Christians initially were Jewish. That's what, that was the first big problem the church faced. What are we going to do? And Peter was among those. So God intervened. And it's, here it's, it's in the book of Acts where Peter was sitting around taking it easy, and he kind of went into a dream, and God sent down a sheet, an image of a sheet from heaven, and on that sheet were all kinds of animals and stuff that were forbidden for the Jew to eat under Old Testament law. And the, and the Lord said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, I've never done that in my life, and I'm not going to do it now. Sheet came down again. Peter, 
what I say is okay is okay. It's not for you to say. Because Peter then was going, as soon as he finally got it straightened out, I'm not to determine what God has already said. That's the way it is to be. He said, now, Peter, I want you to go see a guy who is a Roman soldier named Cornelius. He's a good guy, a God-fearer. He believes in God, but he doesn't know the will of God. I want you to go talk to him. So Peter took some friends with him, and they went to see Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And they said, now, Peter, he believes in the Messiah. You baptize him. And he did. So the early church struggled with that. How much of the Old Testament do we apply to the church? You don't apply any of the Old Testament to the church that isn't mentioned in the New Testament. And that's, clear, that's defined in the 8th, 9th, and 10th chapters of the book of Hebrews in particular. That was such a big problem because the book of Hebrews was directed toward Jewish Christians in Jerusalem in particular. So, that, so you can't go back and justify the, what the priests did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if I were going to work, go to the, uh, like John the Baptist's daddy, where he was one of the, uh, the, that served in the temple, because they had 24 different groups, and they each had, a, uh, they followed a calendar when they were to go serve in the temple. Most of them lived pretty close or in, Jer- in Jericho. And, and, and he worked there, and before he could go into the area where only the priests could go, there was a great old big uh, container of water. He had to take a bath. It, it was called a ritual bath. Peter finally writes, baptism is not a bath. It isn't the washing away of the filth of the flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It follows repentance. And so... There's been a lot of confusion in the church because they have continued to sprinkle people instead of baptizing. And calling sprinkling baptism just simply is a violation of Scripture. Even though I've got a lot of good friends uh, who fall into that category. And here's the problem. The, all of the church, even the Catholic church, as far as I know, they don't, they don't immerse anybody anymore. As far as I know, they only sprinkle people. Hit them over the head with a wet rose or sprinkle a little water on. I've been there a few times when they've done it. And uh, it's, it's a, and yet their Bible, if, if you go to my office with me, I can show you a Catholic Bible. Romans 6 chapter, verse 3. It says, and I quote, Baptism in the, in the early church was by immersion only. And I tried to put some of that here for you. It's, Paul alludes to the ancient matter of baptism was ordinarily conferred on the primitive church by immersion. That is a direct quote from the Catholic Bible and the footnote in the sixth chapter of Romans, verse 3. So well, I'm telling you this to say they know it's not what the early church did, but they changed it and then and tried to justify it by a bunch of silliness. Probably the closest place in the Bible that the and oh well, let me let me tell you this. 
I've talked about the Catholic Church. Let's talk about the Orthodox, because a lot of the, uh, in, in uh, Russia, Greece, other places, the Orthodox Church came from the Greek people who spoke Greek. And so in the, in, the, in the churches, and we actually have churches here in Ohio who have followed after the Greek Orthodox rather than the Catholic Church. You know, and, and one, of the, one of the people who I had as a teacher when I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt, the, our Greek teacher was a Greek Orthodox priest. He was our teacher. And he invited us to go to church and to watch a baptism at their church. I said, okay. There was maybe eight or ten of us that went to watch it. Interesting. I'd never seen anything like it before. It was really interesting. It was actually a baby, a little baby boy, naked as a jaybird, sitting, and they had a, a white cloth wasn't a towel just a white cloth and set that little baby on there and before he baptized the baby he said devil I mean in 10 cents store northern Kentucky talk he said devil get out of this water I'm getting ready to baptize this baby here's the way they baptized the baby he took this little baby after some hocus pocus and he baptized him face forward and pushed him under the water why because he spoke Greek and he understood what baptism meant. Then he lifted and he said, in the name of the Father, under the water, brought him back up. In the name of the Son, under the water, brought him back up. Third time, under the water, brought him back up. He baptized that, he immersed that baby three times and that turned out to be the maddest baby I ever saw in my life. I mean, he was flat ticked off when they got through. But you understand, and there is a church I don't know whether last week or so Jim and Maureen Sharpworth here. Jim actually worked for a church in Columbus for several years that did that very thing. They, they baptized adults, not baby, babies, but adults, three times, and most instances face forward. The, they're called in, in church history and by people who don't necessarily agree, they're called dunkards. And, and, and they're, they're a Bible-preaching church, a good church. And, but they, they, they baptize them, name Father, Son, face forward three times, adults. Why? Because the word baptizo means to plunge, dip, or immerse. Can't mean anything else. And uh, their headquarters for that church, by the way, is, is in Indiana. And they're good people, good people. Now, so, so it, it, it becomes an interesting... The church, through the years, has tried to influence people by a lot of ways. I've had a, there's a, there's a, they used art and they used other ways to try to influence people that just pouring a little water was okay. Well, I got a picture of an, I think we, uh, we have it up there. Yeah, look at this. Here's John the Baptist with a clamshell pouring water on Jesus' head. That didn't any more happen than the man in the moon. But the church has tried to justify through the years what they knew was wrong because they have it in writing that it was wrong. But they went ahead and justified it. 
And, and, and the result is there's so much confusion in the world when if you just have one authority, which is the Bible, and you obey it, there's no confusion at all. And you can have unity in the body of Christ, which Jesus prayed for and wanted to happen. How many of you all uh, went to see the film um, The Jesus Revolution? Did several get to see it? If you haven't, you should. It's worth your time. It's primarily about two guys. One's dead. Chuck Smith is dead now. He founded, he was the founding pastor of, of Calvary Chapel. We have a Calvary Chapel here in, in, uh, in town. Um, Joe Brook is the pastor there. He grew up in our church here. Chuck Smith started that, and, and I stole from him a, a clever little saying. The, the saying that Chuck Smith used, because he takes, while he was still alive, he, took, he, would, he used the Pacific Ocean as the baptistry. And they, and they, did, they baptized hundreds of people there in the Pacific Ocean. And, and he would tell them, and I quote, you've been gypped if you ain't been dipped. And that was the clever little phrase that he could use. That, and you can use humor sometimes uh, with people who differ with you without being so abrasive. I have a tendency to be a little more abrasive sometimes. I'm at least accused of that. I think I'm the sweetest thing ever was. But, uh, but anyway, just so you know. But Romans 6, 4 is so clear that I don't see how anybody can fuss about it. Because in the, in the sixth chapter of Romans, starting at verse 3, here's the way it reads. And, and he said, Or don't you know that all of us who were immersed into Jesus Christ were immersed into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life and if we've been united with him like this in his death we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified and and is dead and buried there's no way that sprinkling or pouring could publicly demonstrate could publicly demonstrate and that's what it was for the death burial and resurrection of jesus because what's happening here, when a person is, is baptized, New Testament baptism, any time that you're baptized, you're actually testifying by your very act the gospel. If you go to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the gospel is clearly defined as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That gospel means good news. That's the good news. It wouldn't be good news if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. But he was. So we have baptism, so we have a new convert here now preaching the gospel by the act of baptism, which should be, uh, which should be always translated immersion. Uh, go back to, so that you understand what happened here. I, I told you that the word was not translated, it was transliterated. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Here's what is meant by it. Instead of saying, translating the word baptizo or baptizo ma in the, in the noun form, they took the, the Greek letters and, and changed them for the English letters. The beta is the B. The alpha is the A. The pi is the P. The tau is the T. And so that what they were doing, you see, is they're just trans changing the letters from Greek to English. 
rather than translating it. And the translation always means for anybody who knows the language to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. And the early church knew that. There was no argument about it. The only argument they had was because of the Jewish background, should we uh, be circumcised? And, and, and the, some of the churches today say, well, baptism was to replace circumcision. <laughs> no, if that's the case, the women have a legitimate gripe because they couldn't even get to heaven if, that's, if, you, if circumcision had to precede baptism. And, 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 and the, in, the, in the kingdom of God, uh, ethnic background, sex, so on, so, means nothing. Means nothing. The Bible says, whosoever will, which includes women, I think, but it doesn't include children because Repentance is, is required before baptism, and confession is required before baptism. And, and they've done all kinds of hocus-pocus to try to work around this. But the simple New Testament picture is, is this. Every, every person who believes that Jesus is the Christ should be baptized, which means they should be immersed in water, which testifies to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's just that simple. And if you've never been immersed, you've been raised in a church that sprinkled you when you was a baby or hit you over the head with a wet rose, all well-meaning by your parents, you should go ahead and, and make arrangements to be immersed in water simply because we only have one authority. And that authority is the Word of God, the Bible. Other churches have, have authorities that supersede the Bible. If you were raised in the Catholic Church, and some of you were, you know what I'm saying is true. There are several sources of authority in the church. There's, the, there's doctrine, there's the church law, there's, uh, there's the Bible, there's, and, and then there's the papacy. And if these things argue with each other, if there's a contradiction or something, that they, they, the Pope speaks, the classical term is ex cathedra, as the head of the church, and whatever he says becomes what they practice. See, we, we don't have all that confusion. We just have the Word of God. We have the Bible. You see, I not, only, I not only believe everything that's in it, I believe the cover that says the Holy Bible. I believe that too. And I don't compromise on it, so don't ask me to. I won't do it. I believe that the unity of the body of Christ is important in our world and we can only have unity when we have one source of authority. And that has to be the Word of God itself. And though there are places in it where we can discuss it and try to clarify it and so on and so forth. But it is the final and only authority that we need to recognize. I have no authority except what the Word of God gives. None. My job is to make it as clear as I can. Jesus actually had a guy come to him one night. His name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a leader on the Sanhedrin, but he came to Jesus at night because he was afraid the rest of the Sanhedrin would get on him and give him a hard time. So he came to Jesus at night. This is in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And he said, uh, I don't understand what you're talking about here. I've heard you say you must be born again. And he asked the dumbest question that anybody ever asked in the Bible. And here's an educated man. 
He said, you mean a man can enter into his mother's womb the second time and be one? Now, I got to classify that as one of the dumbest things I ever heard. But, it's, but that's exactly what he said. And Jesus said, hey, look, you shouldn't be surprised that I say you must be born again. You shouldn't. You have to be born of water. And, and what Jesus was doing here is he was using the natural birth of a baby. The baby is formed in the mother's womb. Then there's the bursting of the water of the womb and then the delivery of the child. And they used to spank him on the butt and make him take a breath. That breath is, is the spirit of the individual. The word breath and spirit is the same Greek word. It's pneuma. Where you, we get, and you're familiar with it because you have pneumatic tires. Same, same word. And so, and, and Jesus was saying, it's just like in the natural world, it's the same in, in, the, in the world of the kingdom of God, the spiritual world. You're born of, of water, and then when you come up out of the water, what's the first thing you do? You, breathe. you don't holler hallelujah till you breathe. And the word for breath and spirit is the same word. And just as you take your breath when you come up out of the water, the scripture teaches, at that moment you're filled with the presence of God. You're born of the water and of the spirit. And those who are born of the spirit of God are promised eternal life because the spirit never dies. Your physical body will, but you won't. That's the reason Jesus said you have eternal life because of your faith in Jesus Christ when, and we're to obey him in what he told us to do. And if you haven't done that, let's go back to the word repentance now. If you haven't been immersed in water and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, I don't care if it was 900 years ago. We've got two from last night who are going to be baptized, I think, Friday. But anyway... What I'm saying is repentance means then that you turn from the past of what you've been doing into the flow of the will of God and you become obedient to God in what he asks us to do. And it's really that simple. And so I, I, I really appreciate John the Baptist. I wish we had more preachers like him today. I don't know that any of us have the nerve that John had because it cost him his life. It really did. You know, he looked at the king and said, King, you're living in adultery. You married your brother's wife. You're an adulterer. And, and, and the king, he just kind of yawned. But the girl he married said, I'll get even with him. So you remember he had, at a party when the old king was drunk and a skunk, they had the girl to do the little oochie coochie dance and he was drunk and he said hey whatever you want I'll give you all you have to do is ask and, the, and his wife whispered to the daughter and said John the Baptist's head on a platter he made the promise he kept his promise John the Baptist lost his head but how many preachers do you know who would look at political leaders like we have in both parties today, and describe them as a, a brood of vipers. In other words, he's calling them snakes. I, I doubt if we have many. And if we did, if we did, we might have um, the FBI, the CIA, the whatever they got up there coming down here on our neck. 
I'm, I'm really not very afraid of them, to be honest with you. Because I, I, think our, I think the political world is absolutely filled with that kind of nonsense. But most of us in the pulpit are afraid to call them what they are. John the Baptist said, you're a brood of snakes. You're a brood of vipers. I say, sick them, John. We need another and just like him. Well, anyway, I've got that off my chest. I need to get that said. So having said that, the big deal is this. If you've never been baptized, and I'm not talking about just use the word when they hit you with water. I'm talking about, as the Bible teaches, the burial in water for the remission of sins. That's what he said. Then you should hurry up and do it. Because what you will be doing then is you will be repenting by your actions because John required proof of repentance. By your actions, you would be moving from what man teaches to what the Bible says into the flow of the will of God. Okay, I'm done. Let's pray and then you can go because uh, I'm five minutes early so I need a raise. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to study it and to believe it and to obey it. It's difficult for any of us to look people in the face and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. But the truth of the matter is, through history, the church has made a lot of mistakes. Instead of conforming ourselves to your will, we've allowed ourselves to be conformed to the world in which we're living. Help us, O oh Lord, to guide our congregation to know and to obey your word as it's revealed in the Bible. Help us toward that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. I appreciate your hanging in there with me. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.